Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, I don't know about you guys, but that's some exciting stuff that sounds like is going on. Uh, Serving the community, uh, serving alongside of our local Bible camp, um, being able to, to serve our community, not just in helping to build a roof that's needed in this area, uh, but also being able to partner together with just having fun, some different fun events over the summer. So I think there's some really exciting things there. Uh, so get involved, get connected, and uh, be a part of it, because I think it's really fantastic. Well, today's a good day. Um, take a look at the picture. So there should be a picture popping up here. Uh, all right, take a look at that picture. I want you to just take, uh, those aren't super clear, but look at those pictures and just see if you can pick out um, what those pictures might have in common. Maybe they don't all have the same thing in common, but think about what they have in common. Try to pick out what might be in common. As you look at that, I mean, what's one commonality? They're all portraits of people, right? So that's a common thing, right? Some of them are couples. Some of them are single people. Some of them have the same background. There's just like, like, there seems to be some overlap in some of the things. There seems to be some commonality between the pictures. Um, But there's no obvious overarching theme, right? I don't think there's an... As you look at it, it's not, there's not an obvious overarching theme in those pictures, hey? But it, perhaps it's because we're looking a little too closely. So let's back out just a little bit. Let's zoom out one zoom. Okay, are we seeing, are we seeing any other type of overarching theme? Does that help us at all? Not really. That kind of looks funny. I'm not quite sure what I'm looking at yet. But we don't really have an overarching theme. Let's zoom out one more time and see... If we have, oh, there we go. (laughs) There we go. That's easier to see. Do you guys see what the overarching theme is? Okay, (laughs) so one person. It's Jesus. That's that's pretty cool. That's a picture of Jesus. So that picture of Jesus is made up, I think they said about 240 individual little pictures uh, that are on that, um, that make up that picture of Jesus. All of a sudden, when we kind of back up a little bit and look from a bigger perspective, we see a story or a theme begin to emerge. And that's the same thing that happens in the book of Psalms. When we back up a little bit and look at Psalms from a bigger picture, we begin to see a theme emerge. I've been studying the book of Psalms here. We're going to be going through Psalms this summer. So we're going to spend our our summer focusing in as much as we can on the book of Psalms and on individual Psalms and that kind of stuff. And as I've been studying this book, I've become very encouraged by what I see. Now, I don't remember whether I was taught this or not. Likely somebody in my story taught me about the book of Psalms and I was just sleeping that day or something happened that I didn't really understand what was happening. Because I used to think of the book of Psalms as one, a compilation of 150 different, separate, somewhat connected, but not really connected poems and songs that were kind of loosely tossed into a book together. Someone just kind of gathered up all these different pages, put them together, and said, okay, here are the Psalms. 
There's no rhyme or reason to them. They all kind of talk about, about God and they praise and kind of leave it at that. Well, how about you? Have you looked at the book of Psalms in this kind of a way before that it's just kind of a compilation of, of all these mismatched different poems? Or have you seen that there is a wondrous and exciting story that is woven throughout the entire book? Well, today we're going to begin our journey in the book of Psalms, and I want to invite you to really press into this with us. And not just by coming here on Sundays to hear about the sermon of the, of the week, but to read through the Psalms. There's 150 Psalms, and we're going to give you two months to read through them. And Pastor Amy has put together kind of a, a reading plan. So if you're on Facebook, you can go to our Facebook community page. I think it's just Beaver Lodge Alliance Church Community, something like that. Um, Beaver Lodge Alliance Church Community Group. So if you find that, the reading plan is going to go up there. Every week, you're going to get reminded, hey, read Psalms, whatever, through whatever. And it'll just remind you to do that. And then you read through those Psalms that week. If you're not on Facebook, Pastor Amy has a bunch of, um, of these plans already printed out. So you can take those home with you. You can mark them off on a sheet and follow along with us as we engage Scripture and we lean into what God is speaking to us by reading the Psalms together. So as we begin our journey through the Psalms, I want to show you how there was great intentionality behind the gathering and the arranging of the Psalms, so that what we have here today is both purposeful and life-giving. It wasn't just happenstance that these poems came together. So here's a little bit of what's happening in the book of Psalms. So there's 150 Psalms, a compilation of, a, of 150, if you want to think of them a little bit differently, 150 chapters of this amazing book that draws the reader together to a hopeful conclusion. The book of Psalms is in the Old Testament, and as such, it was written in Hebrew. The Hebrew title for this book is Tehillim, which means to praise and to shine. And of course, it is a book of praises. It's a very beautiful, Tehillim is a very beautiful word and a very beautiful thought for this poetic and praiseworthy book. It's very fitting that this would be its name. But it's also part of um, a much bigger portion of Scripture called the Wisdom Scripture. So not only is it kind of this book of praise, but it's part of what we call the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, which includes Job, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes. Now, to make up the book of Psalms, we have, like I said, 150 different chapters. Um, and King David, uh, who is the famous King David, wrote 73 or more of them. Uh, there are several other authors uh, quoted within the book of Psalms, like Solomon and, and Moses. And the total number of Psalms, like I said, is 150. We have about 49 of the Psalms that don't have an author listed. So that's why we don't know if King David wrote more than the 73 that he's listed as the author of or not. But there's 150 altogether, 73 from King David, a bunch from other authors, 49 that don't have any author listed. And these psalms are basically psalms that, that would fit any mood. There's psalms of praise and thanksgiving. There's psalms of lament and sorrow. There's psalms that are meant to be recited as, they, as the people went to special feasts. 
and celebrations. There's even imprecatory psalms, and these are psalms that call down judgment on things that are evil. So if you're praying, if you find yourself in a place where you are praying and you feel stuck and you don't know how to pray, you can pop open the psalms. And the good bet is that you're going to find a psalm that will fit your mood for the day, and then you can just pray out that psalm, a psalm that might speak to your heart's cry. As you go through the book of Psalms, this is more of a logistical type of a thing, but as you go through the book of Psalms, you're going to find that um, there are, uh, the Psalms is broken up into sections, and there's five different sections called five different books in the overall book of Psalms, and it's listed up on the screen behind me, uh, kind of the breakdown of what those books encompass. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about those breakdowns at a different time. We won't talk about them today. Uh, but these divisions were created um, early on as the Psalms were gathered together. And here's where it really gets interesting. There seems to be an introduction to the whole book of Psalms in Psalm 1 and 2. And there seems to be a conclusion to the whole book of Psalms in the last five Psalms, Psalm 146 to 150. Uh, on top of that, in between the books, so when you get done with the first section of Psalms and you get to the end of book one, there's a doxology. And it's a very similar doxology at the end of each one of the books that comes out. It's an amazing thing that, that kind of draws this book together. It's one of the things that shows us that this book wasn't just thrown together. It's got an introduction. It's got a, an, a conclusion. It's got these doxologies placed at the end of all the major parts. So it really shows us that this is a book that's put together with purpose and with intentionality. And it draws the reader to an amazing conclusion. So you might be asking yourself, what is the amazing conclusion that the book of Psalms is trying to draw us to? Well, let's start at the beginning of the book and look at the introduction that's found in, Psalm, in Psalms 1 and 2. So chapter 1, Psalm 1, starts with this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the way of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, the first psalm is not very long. It's a very short little psalm. So you can read it probably about three minutes. But it goes on to describe the man who delights in the law versus another man who is called a wicked man. Now, we shouldn't stop here. Now, the, you know the problem with chapter breakdowns is that chapter breakdowns weren't necessarily in the original writings. We have a breakdown of chapter one, chapter two, but these two chapters, these two psalms overlap each other. They go together. So we need to make sure that we read into the second psalm because this is an important thing, how, how this draws together. Psalm one talks about the blessed man and the wicked man. And it's unfortunate, like I said, that there's a chapter break here because Psalm two begins to talk about not just the wicked man, but now a wicked nation. Here's what it says. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Okay, so the wicked man of chapter one becomes the conspiring nations and kings in chapter two. It's still following with the same 
theme here between these two chapters. And the wicked man, the wicked nation, the wicked kings set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed one. So chapter 2, so we've, we've got in chapter 1 the introduction of the blessed man and the wicked man, and now we're introduced to another character, the anointed one. Now I want you to hang on to this thought of the anointed one, okay? We're not going to talk about him right away, but we will in just a moment. We'll come back to the anointed one because this is an important uh, character that's introduced to us. So just like the wicked man became a wicked nation, in chapter 2, the blessed man from chapter 1 becomes multiple. A number of people that are blessed in chapter 2. Chapter 2 ends like this. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Right? So it begins with blessed is the man in chapter 1 and ends with blessed are all who take refuge in him in chapter 2. The blessed man becomes, begins in the beginning of the first chapter as the man who delights in the law of the Lord and now ends at the end of chapter 2 as the one who takes refuge in him. Okay? You get that? So in the first chapter, the blessed man is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and the same person who is now all of all, blessed are all, are the ones who take refuge in him. These two introductory chapters are one full thought that introduces to us the theme that is continued through the whole of the rest of the book of Psalms. Here are the two themes. The law and him. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Well, who is him? Who are we talking about? We kind of have an idea of what the law is, but who is him? This new character that's been introduced to us in the second chapter. Now, for those of us that are sitting on this side of the cross, right? We're thousands of years past the writing of Psalm, right? The Psalms. But we're on this side of the cross. We can go, okay, it's probably talking about Jesus, but I want you to understand that way back when this was first written to the Hebrew people, this was a strange thing. They would have been asking the question, who is him? Who is him? Because we know there's God, the Lord, but then who is this him, this other person, the anointed one that we're supposed to be looking for? So let's read Psalm 2 in its entirety so that we can begin to understand from a Hebrew-Jewish perspective who the hymn is. So here's Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. So your brain as a Jewish person would just be going crazy right now. Because there's the Lord and there's the anointed one. Well, who is this? Well, the people are saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion. Who is that? My holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Who is the son of the Lord? Who is this person? Today I've become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth 
your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the son. Kiss his son. Or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So as a, as a pre-Jesus a Jewish person, you would have read this passage and gone, who in the world is this him? Now, there are lots of debate at this time of who the anointed one was. Well, he's a king. He's a king who is able to possess the whole earth. He is the son of the Lord. Well, could this possibly be David? Well, like I said, almost half of the Psalms are written by King David. So maybe it is David, David the anointed one, the one who will rule for all of eternity over, well, wait a second, no, he died. So at some point, that doesn't work. And he didn't rule over the whole earth, he just kind of ruled over the small nation of Israel. So something's wrong here, because David can't possibly be him. Who is him? Well, it, it helps if we were to speak Hebrew. Because it's actually quite helpful in this passage if we were to understand the word that's used here for the anointed one. Because in Hebrew, the word for the anointed one is Messiah. Messiah. Well, David was not the Messiah. We know that. But there's one coming. There's one coming. And do you guys know that in all of the Old Testament, constantly they're looking forward to somebody coming in the future who is named the Messiah, the anointed one. The one who is talked about, especially in Psalms. So this is, as we pull this out, this theme of the Messiah, as you read through Psalms, you're going to see these two big themes coming up. Again and again, the focus on the law, and again and again, the focus on the Messiah. Again and again through Psalms. So as you go and join us this summer and read through, have those two things in mind, the law and the Messiah, the law and the Messiah. How is this chapter of Psalms speaking about the law or the Messiah? So the book of Psalms has these two amazing themes in them uh, that we draw out of through this first two chapters. Delighting in the law of the Lord and looking forward to the coming anointed one, the messianic king. These are the two themes that we're going to see come up again and again and again. Now, in case as you think about the law and you say, well, I don't want to I don't want to read about the law. The law sounds strict. It sounds like, you know, being in chains. If you, if you think of the law, the way that the law showed up during Jesus's time, the way that the Pharisees presented the law, well, of course, the law would give you a bitter taste in your mouth. It sounds like a horrible thing because the Pharisees, they, they didn't seem to be really good people. They missed seeing Jesus. They, they focused so much on the law, they missed the Messiah. But this was not the intention of the law. The law's intention was to draw people to the Messiah, was to reveal to people the heart of God, was to be able to show the people how living within God's boundaries would produce life and hope and joy. The law was meant to bring life. That was the purpose. Of course, it got 
subverted and it got twisted. And by the time of Jesus' time, when the Pharisees were there, it was all twisted up and broken and messed up. But it was not the purpose of the law. So as you read through Psalms, you're going to see a different type of law. Blessed is the man who delights himself in the law of the Lord. You're going to see this different type of law pop out here as you read through Psalms. And in fact, the law of the Lord leads the people towards the Messiah, the coming anointed one. So the law in Psalms leads the chosen people to their messianic king. And that's the point of Psalms. If you read this as a whole, you will see that the reader is brought through the law to encounter the Messiah. And Psalms does this in a very specific way. It, it, Psalms does this by taking the people where they're at from lament to progression through to praise. Here's why, okay? Sh Psalms shows up for a people group who have waited long for God to show up. A people who have endured much and been through the ringer a time or two. The nation of Israel had gone through some rough patches. And they're at a place that they're feeling low, they're feeling beat up, and they're feeling like they need some, some encouragement and some strength. Does this at all sound familiar? Have you ever been in a place like this in your life? Because it's not just the, the people of Israel who've been through a tough go. It's not just the people of Israel that, who have endured much, have waited long, and been through the ringer a time or two. The Psalms is for us. The Psalms is for us, especially in some of the most difficult places that we find ourselves. When we kind of look around and we go, goodness gracious, I just feel like I'm at one of the lowest points here, or I'm having a hard day, or this is a bad week, or my goodness, how many years now have I been waiting for something to change? If you look closely, the beginning of Psalms focuses much on the Psalms of lament. Now, they don't, they don't make up the whole of the book of Psalms, but they make up about a third of the book of Psalms, our lament Psalms. And many of them are at the beginning of the book of Psalms. Sorrowful grief Psalms, which poetically point to our soul's need. Like this very first one. David comes right out of the gate in Psalm 3, right after the introduction, David says this, O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Right out of the gate, he just laments. God, there's so many people out there against me. There's so many. And they're all telling me, God will not deliver you. God will not deliver you. Have you felt like that before? Perhaps many of the lament psalms would speak to our soul at different parts of our life. David was a good lamenter. And you can see in his life that there's much that he has to lament about. There were many things in David's life that were lament-worthy. Psalms of lament are prayers of pain and confusion and frustration with the things that are wrong in this world. Lament points to the brokenness. It calls it out. Look at the broken things in this world. God, would you do something about this? It's worth noting, like I said earlier, that a third of the Psalms are lament Psalms. 
It's worth noting because lamenting is a legitimate response to evil and brokenness in this world. It's a legitimate response. I, I, uh, I try, when I <clears throat> lead through a funeral, I try to give permission to the people to grieve. And I've had many people, when I do that, I have had many people come up to me afterwards and say, thank you for letting me grieve. Thank you for giving me permission to grieve. Because we're so quick nowadays, aren't we? We're so quick when somebody loses a loved one to come up and say, hey, it's going to get better. Hey, it's okay. Everything's going to turn out okay. It's going to be fine. Give yourself a week or two and you'll be good. And we pass over the fact that grief is a legitimate thing. Lamenting is legitimate in our world because there's many things in this world that are broken. There are many things in this world that are not the way this should be. So give yourself permission to lament. Give yourself permission to grieve the broken things in this world. And can I encourage you, as you press into lamenting, that you actually press into a healthy lament for the brokenness of this world. Here's what I mean. There is a difference between a healthy and an unhealthy lament. A healthy lament recognizes the things in this world that are broken, calls them out, and brings them before the Lord. God, only you can solve the brokenness in this world. God, here's the brokenness. Have you seen this, Lord? This too is messed up. I bring this to you. A healthy lament does that. An unhealthy lament either tries to solve the problem in our own power without God or dwells and drowns on the sorrow, allowing it to overtake us with nowhere to go with it. I'm broken, I'm broken, everything's broken, the world is broken, and so am I, I'm going to sit in my corner and cry. That's an unhealthy lament. Now, crying is healthy, grieving is healthy, lamenting is healthy when we're able to bring it to the Lord. The Psalms practice healthy laments. You'll see a pattern that shows up in these Psalms that moves the reader from lament to surrender to praise and thankfulness and worship as the, as the lamenter turns towards God and draws near to him. So I encourage you to press into healthy laments. As we get back to the Psalms here, it's interesting um, that the lament Psalms are predominant only in the first half of the Psalms. By the time we get into the second half, we begin to become overwhelmed by psalms of praise. Like this one in Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Psalms of praise are prayers of joy and celebration focusing on the good that God has brought into this world, focusing on God's great victory and his mercy and his grace. There are still lament psalms in the second half of psalms, as there are also thanksgiving psalms in the first half. But the progression is very clear. We go from a heaviness of lament psalms in the beginning into a, a lightness of praise psalms, in the end. And the reason for that 
is because as we go through the book of Psalms, there's this progression that draws the people, the reader, towards a longing hopefulness for the coming of the messianic king. There's also these moments throughout the book of Psalms, I I mentioned them earlier, at the end of each of the the internal books, there's this doxology. It's It's a moment as you transition from one book to the next, which each of the books has kind of a different theme. As you transition from one book to the next, there's this moment of pause. This moment to stop the reader, to just stop for a moment and pause. And here's where the doxologies are. So they're at the end of each one of the books. So there's four doxologies between book one and two, book two and three, between three and four, between four and five. Okay, there's four doxologies, and they're almost exactly the same. The wording's a little different, but look at them here. In Psalm 41, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. Psalm 72, praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory, amen and amen. Psalm 89, praise be to the Lord forever, amen and amen. Psalm 106, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, that all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. These appear at these spaces, these transition spaces, to give the reader a moment to pause. If you were reading through these, um, and you were just powering through them and trying to read as many as you could, there would be these automatic moments for you to stop and praise the Lord. Stop and pause. It's another one of the the reasons why we know this book was not just thrown together, but it's another reason for us to, to press into what the book as a whole is looking at, to not just praise God, but to consider Jesus as the messianic king. And finally, we come to the end of the book of Psalms with five chapters, which together act as a conclusion reminding the reader to praise the Lord. We're going to talk more about these five books um, sometime later this summer, Um, but it's amazing how they start and finish. So all these last five chapters begin and end with the same thing. They say praise the Lord as their beginning and praise the Lord as their end. This kind of joyous hallelujah chorus uh, speaking uh, praises towards God as, it, as the, the book of Psalms comes to a conclusion. It's a really neat thing here. I don't know if you guys knew this before, but in the Hebrew, which is again the original language that's written here, in the Hebrew, the phrase praise the Lord is hallelujah. Hallelujah, which is the short form of Yahweh. Isn't that awesome? So here, at the beginning and ending of each one of these chapters, they say, Hallelujah, and they end with, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, Hallelujah. So when we sing songs, like we sang one today that it's spelled a little different, but Hallelujah, as we're talking about Hallelujah, we are praising the Lord. The book of Psalms is truly an amazing, unified book drawing the reader forward in praise, drawing them together with these two thoughts of the law of the Lord, which brings life, and the messianic king who is coming to make all things right. 
Now, I hope, it was, as we've been, I hope as we've been talking about this, that you've been filled with a little bit of a, a, an urgency or an expectancy for reading the book of Psalms. I hope that when you go home, you crack that puppy open and begin reading because there is so much good in here. But I want, as you go to read, I want to draw your attention to something that I think is just so incredibly powerful. You know that when Jesus was here on earth, there was only the Old Testament, right? None of the New Testament had been written yet. The, the New Testament was written after Jesus left. So when he was here, it was only the Old Testament that they had. That, if you wanted to know who God was, you read the Old Testament. They didn't call it the Old Testament back then, but that's what we call it today. It was the only Bible that there was. And we know that Jesus knew the Old Testament well. He, he, he read it and examined it and focused on it so much that it became part of his life. It indwelt him. The written word of God lived in Jesus. He meditated on the scriptures day and night. And he often quoted from the scriptures, especially to show people that these are the scriptures that speak about him. Again and again, he talked about the prophecies and the different things that pointed to Jesus to show people this, I am the person that's been written about in this amazing book. Again and again, he draws people to this conclusion that he is the one who's been spoken about through the Old Testament. And let me ask you a question here. I don't want you to answer out loud. Maybe you can if you want. Do you know what the Old Testament book Jesus quoted from the most is? Which book did Jesus quote from the most? Psalms. There you go. Easy question, right? Easy answer. Okay, of course. I would, like, it would be so weird if I was like Genesis, but we're not talking about that today. No, of course, it's Psalms, right? Jesus quoted from the Psalms more than any other book of the Old Testament. Does, doesn't that make you want to read this more? I mean, Jesus quoted from it more than any other book. As you read through the Psalms as well, you are 2,000 years separated. We are 2,000 years separated from Jesus. He was here 2,000 years ago, but he read the same Psalms that you've got in your Bible here. He would have read these Psalms. So when you sit down to read the Psalms, I want you to imagine Jesus sat down and read these Psalms. Imagine him sitting right next to you as you read the stuff that testifies about him. Imagine Jesus sitting right, right now, right next to you as you crack open the Bible and you lament. As you read these Psalms of lament and you pour out your heart, imagine Jesus doing the same thing. Jesus would have looked at the world and would have gone, God, Father, there's so much wrong in this world. He would have lamented the same way. Imagine Jesus sitting next to you as you praise his lordship, his power, his grace, and his mercy, and his unfailing love. Imagine Jesus sitting next to you as you read this. The Lord is my shepherd. That's you, Jesus. In that, when that, that's just amazing. I mean, I don't, I don't like as Jesus read this Psalm 23. I wonder what he was thinking. The Lord is my shepherd. That's ah, me. <laughs> I don't know what he would have said. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He, you, Jesus, make me to lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside the still waters. You restore my soul. You lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because Jesus, you're here with me. Jesus, you're right here with me. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Just imagine Jesus read these same psalms, and he's here with us today, reading these psalms alongside of us, helping to, 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 to bring to mind some of the things that he laid in there for us to treasure. And you get to read these alongside him. The same psalms that grieve the wrong and, and long for the coming mess, messianic king, the same psalms that praise, the same psalms that speak to your heart. These are the psalms that Jesus read, and you get to read these as well. So I encourage you to join us this summer as we lean in together to read the psalms Jesus read. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. Blessed are all who take refuge in the messianic king. Would you please stand with us and let's close off in this song. Jesus, we certainly, we certainly praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We thank you that you are here with us. Help us to recognize your presence. And Lord, as we, as we seek to, to, to spend time with you, as we read these psalms, as we, as we read this and we imagine you with us, it's not just our imaginations. We know you are here with us. And so may you be honored and glorified, Jesus, as we press into uh, praising you and, and giving you honor and glory and as we press into to, to being with you in this season. And church, I bless you right now in Jesus Christ's powerful name to have encounters with Jesus, to experience his presence in new and amazing ways, to know that when when you show up, he is already there. May you experience his presence in the days and the weeks and the months to come. We thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray these things in your powerful and wonderful name. Amen. So we're going to have some people up front here that can pray with you if you want prayer. People that are watching online, you can text us, and we'd love to pray for you this afternoon. Uh, but other than that... Go in peace. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.